It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. All righty. Welcome in, everybody. Patrick Johnson here with you, working Man's Beach. Uh, we are getting ready for Inside Pirate Athletics coming up at the top of the hour at uh, Tiebreakers tonight. Talking a rather successful Pirate uh, Sports Weekend. And, of course, it is the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, Philip the Ref Pilkington producing the show. He spent his uh, Super Bowl. Where else would you spend it other than Rocky Mount? And that's where Philip the Ref Pilkington went. Yeah, I think you have Vegas, the site of the uh, the Super Bowl this year. And then right there, maybe not, you know, number two or B, however you want to assign the ranking. But it's, it's certainly uh, less than six degrees of separation, I would say. Rocky Mount in Las Vegas. Uh, <laughs> Pilkey, fresh, fresh off of that. Ref, how was your uh, Super Bowl extravaganza? It was good. I enjoyed it. Had a great time. And uh, how was yours, Patrick? Well, uh, I watched it here, and uh, because of some kerfuffle with YouTube television, which is what uh, is is here at the uh, Casa de Johnson at the beach. Uh, we watched it on the Paramount app, right? How was that? Paramount app. I can't say on uh, public airwaves. No, it was fine, other than it, a couple times it stopped working. Patrick. Or it paused. Patrick, it was on national time. television. Get a pair of rabbit ears. You don't even need to put the aluminum you know foil what? like our forefathers did. No, no. What you don't understand, because I've talked to somebody about this before, the great Mike Riddle. We're too low here at the beach to get those TV waves. You have ah. to have like an antenna, a real high antenna, and that's not plausible along the coast. So that's kind of where it is. So that was the issue. Other than that, I thought it was fine. I thought Usher was fine. I know a lot of the old heads don't like it. Uh, and the music, by old heads, I mean Philip. But, I mean, I thought it was fine. I thought there was nothing wrong with it. I thought it was a good performance for what it was. Not my jam, but it was fine. I thought the commercials, I liked the Christopher Walken commercial very much. I liked the Schwarzenegger commercial very much. And uh, I thought the game, though low scoring, a lot of jokes about it being like an Iowa football game. Uh, despite all that, I thought it was very. Uh, it was a very entertaining game. I was entertained, at least. I agree. It was very entertaining. I thought when it was low scoring early, it wasn't because of bad offense as much as Steve Wilkes and Great Steve Skarskesian had perfect game plans. Awesome. Awesome defense by both sides. And look, it came down to what I said. Don't bet against Mahomes. Now, Kelsey showed his ass, and I think is what I've been saying all along, is just a, a meathead. That's putting it very nicely. Um, and the whole thing with Swift, I mean, Joe Ovius can say what he wants. I just think it's so ridiculous. 
I never so saw ridiculous. one Chiefs fan on the broadcast ever. Not he a single did. one. You saw Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, you know, what I mean, Taylor a normal, Swift. a normal guy and his son going to their first Super Bowl. I right. did not see a single of those. I saw a few 49ers ones because I saw the Swifty box, and then at the very end they showed the hunts, which I have no problem with them showing the ownership group celebrating. That's fine. And I have no problem with them showing T-Swift, just not on every play or when it's coming down the stretch is something important. It was every crucial she's third down. It was, yeah, it was annoying. Right. Come I on. mean, give me, give me reaction of the sidelines. Give me reaction of the coaches or the players. Give me that. Or, as you say, the rank-and-file fans, the people that actually had to pay hard-earned money to go to this thing. Uh, Pilkel, will you have audio later in the show of the Super Bowl? Yeah, we'll have some uh, post game. Yep. Okay. Pardon me while I pick my teeth. Um, good, good. So Pilk will have some post game reaction, uh, not only in the update but maybe uh, later on as he'll run through all of that. Uh, what a weekend for Pirate Athletics! Uh, the women's basketball team won. Softball off to their best start in eighteen years. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing something else, but the men's basketball shot the uh, lights out against uh, UTSA, particularly in the first half, and uh, the Pirates came away with a game that was not as close as 11 points. It uh, was more like a 25-point spread, which was what it was earlier in the day. So uh, I was really uh, impressed with what I saw. Brandon Johnson had a huge bounce back after really struggling, so that uh, open week, in a sense, did him some real good. Uh, East Carolina bombed in 13 threes for the day. Johnson with a career-high 30 points, and uh, he had nine rebounds to boot, so he narrowly missed a triple-double. All right, uh, tell you what, let's get some post-game audio in uh, right now from that with our Pirate Report. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Coach Schwartz on the shots going in and how that put pressure on the opponent. Shots going in, obviously Brandon is dynamic shooting the ball, but other guys made shots too. I mean, RJ hits three and Cam goes two for four. And But just the shot going through the basket puts just pressure on the other team. So when even if your defense is playing well, and I thought our defense in the first half was really strong, the shots going in, it's an added pressure that they feel like they have to keep scoring. And so when you don't make shots and you defend, you're almost taking pressure off the other team. And, you know, now it becomes, and we know we've been in a lot of rock fight games, but when that ball goes through the hoop, uh, I think it's really a big deal. And, and we spent a lot of time this week working on some stuff offensively and shooting and things like that, and I'm glad that it paid off tonight. Seemed like they had uh, their legs about them. I think as much as anything, just having some rest was a huge deal. Uh, Coach Swartz uh, talking about the assist or a stat that jumped out to him the most. That's honestly the number that we are the most pleased with. Yes. Yeah. Is Season 20, high by a lot. 21 assists, assists six turnovers. Mm -hmm. So trying to continue to take care of the basketball. And I think any time, again, the, the number finally paid true tonight that we end up with 19 more field goal attempts. Um, and but we were able to convert on those, yes. and that's a big stat that we look at. You know, I think the more shots you get, if, if you can out, you know, that number is higher than your opponent. And I thought tonight, obviously because of Brandon, as a huge reason why. But I thought our guys did a great job executing what we had worked on yeah, all week and, and what we were trying to do. All right, uh, and here is uh, Coach Swartz on uh, the game that Caleb LeCount had. You know what? I just saw Caleb. I gave him a hug in the locker room, and I said, Caleb. 
you really played tonight. You're plus 19. And when he was, he was plus 19 on the plus minus, actually the highest on the team. You know, Jaden was great with that, and uh, Brandon was great. But across the board, I thought Caleb's energy yeah, uh, during the game, he, it just was there. It so was much. there, you know, uh, and it was nothing to do with shooting the ball, this no. or that. I thought his steal to go and finish down on the other end was yeah. a huge uh-huh. play. But just his energy on defense, his energy on keeping our offense moving, I thought he did a really good game, and, and that's big for us. All right, uh, more from Coach Schwartz, who talked about uh, the effect R.J. had on the uh, game other than his scoring. I thought R.J. was really efficient tonight, and probably he probably takes two or three shots that maybe if the possession goes a little bit further, the ball hits his hands again, and I think he even gets a better shot. But sometimes as a basketball player, you're feeling it. He knows how much we trust him, and he takes a good look, and we trust his shot selection. And, again, like you said, 6 for 16, he, he Rebound six, you know, gets six rebounds. He draws two fouls, cutting off the ball. He gets a foul on an offensive rebound. Those things, again, may not go up, you know, in the stat sheet, but here's the deal. Brandon Johnson's fouled five times. R.J. Felton's fouled four times. Everyone else is just one time. So the number of times you get fouled is really an indicator of how hard you're playing. And, again, Brandon and and R.J., Brandon five and him four. Uh, great point there, and uh, Coach Schwartz talked about limiting uh, UTSA's uh, Jordan Vi Curry. He's a scary player to go against. He scores on all levels, and he can score in bunches really quickly. And, and again, he got going a little bit in the second half. He started scoring, and again, when you have a lead like that, what happens is the offense starts to play a little more free. They know. I mean, they're down big, and they start playing free. And so your defense is to go to another level. And then offensively, you got to be really disciplined on your decision-making on the offensive end. And I thought we let that slip a little bit in the second half with the lead, and that's where this ball club's got to keep growing. All right, Mike Swartz uh, on his team had tremendous preparation for this game in San Antonio Saturday continued to build but I thought the preparation this week was really good you know and, and if we were playing in Minji's today or playing on the road you know I think we would have executed I mean, the results you can never predict but the bottom line is that obviously being able to win on the road is a really tough thing to do and it's a big thing for a team and I think this team has proven that when we are doing things right we can go on the road and win this was a great atmosphere in here today mm-hmm. and so um you know, I think you just build on it. But, uh, uh, again, I'll say it to you guys, it's about what we do now, tomorrow, Monday, and Tuesday, getting ready for Wichita State. Mm-hmm. And the preparation, I thought, prepared us to be able to come in here. And we won't uh, – I won't mind having a week off again because that was good for us. <laughs> we need- All right, Pirates uh, and Wheat Shockers will be uh, Thursday at uh, 7. So some days to get uh, their legs back under him and get rested. Uh, this is Brandon Johnson. Uh, he talked with the network after, and he talked about his 30-point night, a career high. I just tried to take it back to the beginning, like um, all the fundamentals of shooting, like um, staying low, being shot ready, and just sticking my landing. And BJ said he had less prep time uh, for that game to the in- due to the injury he suffered against Charlotte. I usually had less gym time because the Charlotte game, I, hit, I got a hit pointer. So I've been working on that. So I missed two days of practice. Um, I got back to practice uh, two days ago. And I've just been taking it easy, getting a little bit of reps. But I was still in the gym just a little bit. But Nate was watching after me. And uh, Johnson talked about uh, did he realize he was going to have that kind of shooting night going into the game. No, not really, because I've had a couple workouts in the morning where I've shot the ball really well, and I came in the game and pooped it away. So (laughs) um, 
I'll say it's just fundamentals on it for me. Like I have to just keep doing what got me here to make shots. And uh, last thing from Brandon Johnson on uh, what Coach Schwartz told him to do to draw fouls. Uh, so when I shot fake, I always go for the foul. Like uh, I'm always looking for the foul. So he told me to just go straight up. Like I'm six nine, they're probably not going to block me. Just go strong, and they'll give me the foul if I go strong. Right. So I just got to keep working on that. There you go. So uh, big night for Brandon Johnson, thirty and nine. The Pirates with the uh, victory over UTSA, and that gives them uh, three road wins this year in conference play so far. All right, uh, we're going to uh, break, and when we come back, Coach Cliff Godwin, he joined Stephen Igo and myself a little bit earlier. It was inside the ECU clubhouse with Coach G, and it's coming your way on the other side. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. Okay, ready? You ready? Streaming to the world at 943thegame.com. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. Now in all his glory, here's the P-Man. All right, we welcome you in as we go inside the Pirate Clubhouse game week as ECU starts the uh, 2024 season. And uh, ECU baseball coach Cliff Godwin joins Steve and I go from Hoist the Colors and myself here. He'll do it uh, every Monday, and we appreciate coach's time hey coach uh hello to you and uh game week is here i know i know you guys are tired of scrimmaging one another it's time to face somebody on the other side yeah our guys are excited uh we've actually had really good weather uh for the preseason so we've been outside a lot i think it's the most we've been outside probably in uh all the years i've been the head coach here so uh we feel prepared we do want to get a few more good practices in this week. Um, today's off. Um, they'll lift weights, but um, we'll be practicing tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday to get ready um, to go on Friday. What will those practices entail, Cliff, as far as uh, the next three days? What are you looking for specifically out of the next three days, practice-wise? Uh, we still will review some stuff, uh, you know, about defensive pickoffs, um, to make sure that we're really crisp in those areas, pop fly communication. Uh, we'll actually scrimmage a little bit, um, like three innings tomorrow, just to get some relievers back on the mound and also get the guys uh, some more live at bats um, so they'll be ready for Friday. Coach, you guys have had a obviously a long preseason waiting for game week to arrive. What are you most proud of about your team to this point? Where do you want to see them continue to grow the most as game week gets here? For the most part, we've been really consistent with our preparation. We've been really good at showing up and just having a sense of urgency in what we're doing. And, you know, the attention to detail has been at a high level, and, and that goes a lot on the shoulders of the leadership group, you know, where guys haven't seemed to be, um, you know, tired of just, you know, preparing. I think when teams get tired of preparing, then they're preparing to fail, basically. So. Um, the one thing I like about this group is they've been pretty diligent with the work each and every day. This past weekend, final real inter-squad scrimmages, and I know you guys will continue to have competitive practice, but what, what stood out there, any individuals or any aspects of, of that scrimmage or those scrimmages this past weekend? Uh, it was really competitive. I think all three games were one-run games, um, all different games. Um, you Savage was really good. I thought the offense was really good. Um, putting together tough at-bats against your Savage and Root, even though there wasn't a lot to show for it, just being able to battle um, and get their pitch counts up. Um, 
and I thought our guys were super competitive. So that was the thing I was like most excited, just the competitiveness. We're talking Pirate Baseball. Cliff Godwin, the uh, opener Friday against Ryder, as uh, they'll be in for a three-game set uh, coming up this uh, weekend. As far as uh, Trey and uh, and as far as Root go, uh, Coach, uh, you know, you, you talked about they kind of got a late start. How do you feel like that they have progressed? Uh, obviously, what you're reporting there and telling us bodes well as far as the way they're throwing the ball now, but do you feel like that they are uh, right about where you would want them to be going into the opening series? Yeah, Trey wasn't uh, held back. Uh, Root <clears throat> did not throw the first weekend we could scrimmage, just had some arm soreness, so his pitch count was a little bit less than Trey's, but uh, they both look good, um, just so I go can get this out of the way. Trey will go on Friday. Root will go on Saturday, and uh, Jake Hunter will go on Sunday. Um, I will say this. It was super competitive for that Sunday spot. Um, Shink definitely could have been in that Sunday spot, but we want him to stay in the bullpen just because he's so valuable. And Shink's such a team guy and uh, was very receptive to that. Uh, Jaden Winter pitched great as a starter in the preseason, as did Chris Kaler. So, they will be in the bullpen as well, opening weekend. We want to make sure we got plenty of depth to be able to get through that opening weekend. Yeah, you know, I, I think where I go and others may uh, – I'm even going to bag on I go here, Coach. Uh, where I go and others, uh, you know, uh, are so you know zoned in on who's going to be the third starter, and that's important. I guess a lot of your consideration and Austin Knight's consideration was we don't want to weaken the bullpen, uh, especially in an opening uh, series. So – uh, to me, it's it's maybe not so much what Hunter did as, as maybe that was the, the planning that you just talked about there. So I guess that really factored into it as much as anything. Well, it's not like Jake Hunter pitched like crap. I mean, if he pitched like crap, he wouldn't. Right, um, yeah. No, I got you. Yeah. Jake Jake pitched well, but Shink was outstanding. Jaden Winter was outstanding. Chris Kaler was really good as well. Uh, you know, those are the decisions that you have to make. Uh for the collective unit. You know, you're always looking how it's going to affect the team. And obviously, Shink was a big piece of the bullpen last year. And Jake pitched out of the bullpen last year. And yeah. the unique thing about this staff is, <clears throat> for the long haul, there's a lot of guys that we have prepared to start. So there's a lot of options when you talk about midweek games or even if somebody stumbles or has some arm soreness, there's guys that can slide into those roles. And uh, hopefully, we don't miss a beat. Well, I was going to just follow up here before I yield back to the uh, Honorable Stephen Igo, and that is what did Hunter uh, do that maybe differentiated himself? Yeah, I was, I was going to get to that, but, uh, yeah, as you said, he didn't, he didn't pitch poorly. So uh, what did he do that maybe stood out that earned him this uh, opportunity? Well, he's developed, you know, two other pitches with a split finger and cutter slider. Um, now his fastball is still an elite pitch, and uh, I think that he's – you know, in his third year, he's understanding how to navigate a start a lot better than he did two years ago. Um, if I recall, two years ago, I think he was a Sunday starter to, to open up. Um, uh -huh, but yeah. then he went to the bullpen. So, um, but Jake is, uh, he understands that, you know, rents do every day, as I tell our team. I mean, this is the deepest pitching staff, in my opinion, that we've had here. Also, the deepest position player group. So, there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of, you know, guys that could go out there at any given time, whether it be a starting lineup or coming off the bench. So 
that's going to be something that's going to be unique, in my opinion, that we're going to try to get a lot of guys um, on the field in different times of the game and different games when they start. Coach, going into opening weekend, and I'm sure you and Austin and I have plenty of conversations about the bullpen, kind of how it's structured. How how much of a comfort is it just to have you know Wyatt and Danny Bill, two guys who you know can go in in any situation, have experience, have had success, to kind of fall back on going into a, an opening weekend series? Well, I think experience, you, there's no uh, – other than doing it, you, you can't get it. And somebody has to get experience at some point in time. But Danny and Shink have done it. Danny's done it for a long time, and Shink was really good for us last year. Um, I think Jaden Winter is going to be a big piece to that bullpen. I think Chris Kaler. Uh, Drew Bryan has been dealing with a little um, intercostal strain, so he didn't pitch this weekend. But hopefully he can throw to hitters uh, on Tuesday. And Eric Ritchie, uh, obviously a good left-handed option. Corey Costello has continued to come along um, as a left-hander. And then uh, Jackson DiLorenzo, you'll hear me refer to him as DiLo. I mean, he's been really good um, in the preseason, um, and he's been closing out games for us. So uh, we like the youth, too. We just don't want to ha have to run them out there necessarily when the game's on the line, but we're going to get them out there. and. Um, Hopefully they have success and we can get them off the field quick so we can continue to build their confidence. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, you and, and Coach Knight, when y'all talk, is it do you try to, like, map out an ideal plan to get these guys in? I know baseball is unpredictable, but is it just kind of going into a weekend, hey, we would like to get player A in this spot, player B in this spot, or is it just kind of you take it inning by inning? You take it inning by inning because, I mean, I haven't read off the – prior scores of uh, opening weekend to the guys, but you guys, uh, I was about to grab it, but uh, you guys can go pull them up. Uh, that Friday night game, it's always a one-run game. Um, it seems like, I mean, last year we're down 4 nothing um, in game one. We're down 2 nothing in game two. Uh, we've had extra inning games. It doesn't matter who you're playing. You know it's going to be a um, really tight game normally on that opening day Friday night. Coach, when you look at the position group and, you know, you've been doing some previews, obviously, and Dixon Williams has been hitting the ball well since the fall, and it seems like he hasn't really slowed down. Is he a guy you look at as your, your opening day starting third baseman as we sit here right now? Yeah, Dixon. <clears throat> Dixon will be our opening day um, third baseman for sure. He's earned that. Um, he actually played full speed uh, this weekend for the first time with that quad um, that was nagging him, but he was full speed, so he looked good. That was uh, really exciting for the coaching staff for him to be able to go out there and run bases. Um, he'd been playing defense, but just not running bases. Um, Colby Wallace has played good. Nate Christman's played good. Nate, you could see him all over the field, but Colby's really, um, really upped his game, so to speak, defensively, and he's an option too, and has swung the bat pretty good. Pirate baseball coach Cliff Godwin is joining us here. One of the uh, things we talked with you about last week was uh, the first hit for uh, for Bird uh, in a uh, inner squad. He got his first RBI this uh, weekend. So, you know, I, there, there's the feel-good element of that, but I, I think just perseverance and determination for Parker are the things that really kind of stand out uh, and, and maybe are an embody, embodiment of, of – what we can expect out of this team possibly this season. Yeah, Parker's such an inspiration to all of us each and every day. Um, he's an inspiration to the nation. He had a commercial. Um, I think it was only regional yesterday or last night um, during the Super Bowl 
Um, I actually reposted it from his mom on uh, Facebook, but he's an inspiration. And if you think you're having a bad day and you look at that guy showing up, just making people around him better, um, it puts you in a much better headspace. Let's uh, talk about just, uh, you know, the anticipation of opening day. The fans are going to be great. You know that. And, and that's such a big part of what has become, uh, you know, the, the tradition of pirate baseball under your uh, watch in, in Greenville. The fans, uh, you know, are, are just fantastic, really into it, and uh, very excited about, uh, I think they're excited about being able to tailgate a little bit. Uh, this weekend, in fact. So, uh, if you could just maybe give a you know a little shout to, to them as you as you often uh, do when we start the baseball season. Well, just this past weekend, it's been really the past couple weekends. You look up and Friday and Saturday, especially, there's probably 300 fans at a preseason inter-squad. I don't know if I've ever been at a place, including Ole Miss or LSU, where there's that many people. Uh, even yesterday before it started raining a little bit. I mean, there was at least 100 people in the stands for a scrimmage on Sunday at 11 a.m. Um, it's just mind-blowing to me just to support the passion that our fans have. Um, and our guys love it. I mean, they know that this is a special place. And, you know, when you can um, – last year we finished, I think, 13th in attendance in the uh -huh. country. I mean, one of the um, most uh, – just passionate places that you could ever imagine playing baseball for. And, and that's what makes this place special, in my opinion. Coach, the real question everybody wants to know is, when do you first look at the weather report for this weekend? Um, well, just because it uh, it pops up, you know, on my weather app. Uh, and uh, I, I'm sure you guys, you know, three or four days ago, thought it was going to probably snow on uh, opening weekend. And now it's 64 on Friday. And I think – upper 50s on Saturday for sure. So uh, I let the weathermen do that stuff, and we just show up and play. Well, hopefully they, they get it right this time. Coach, I wanted to hit, too, on the, the center field competition, and, you know, Bristol Carter has obviously played well, but Riley Johnson we talked about last week has had a great preseason. How do you kind of see that competition along with some other guys who can play center early in the season kind of unfolding? Well, Riley is our best center fielder, and that's not a knock against Bristol. Um, Bristol has become a really good center fielder. Riley's just one of the best center fielders I've ever coached. Um, the key for him is to stay healthy, which he has to this point. I mean, he's been full go. He laid out, I think, Friday, um, which was very uh, nerve-wracking for all the coaches when he laid out, but he got back up, and, and that's going to be something that is we just have to navigate throughout the season if he goes down. Bristol can play center field, of course, at a high level, and we feel confidently about that. But he also can play left field. So I think uh, you're going to see a lot of Bristol. I don't know if it'll be starting opening day, but you will see a lot of him. And uh, we got to keep getting him out there because he's a game changer just with his speed and his competitiveness, and he's a gamer. Last week we had Cam Clonch on the show uh, and just, you know, a great representative of East Carolina baseball and been a guy who's been patient, seems to be a team guy. Just whether he's a starter or not to begin the season, what, what does he mean to your to your clubhouse? Clonch is he's as much like me probably as any player that we've had from the standpoint that he's never been really the guy. And uh, I've told him that nobody knows – how to navigate that good or bad because I did it both ways as a player but I really wasn't an everyday guy 
up until my fifth year. So um, Clanch has done it the right way at times. He's done it the wrong way at times. Him and I have had multiple conversations, but he's had a great preseason because he's just worried about the team. And when Clanch is at his best, he's super competitive um, as a teammate. And the guys look at him as a great leader because he's a good dude. Um, he wants to win. He wants East Carolina to win. And he's really sold out of that. So you're going to see Clanch. Um, is he going to start opening day? We'll see. But um, those are things that I don't worry about because if he's focused on the team, he's going to help us be better. And if he's not starting, I mean, you're talking about one of the oldest, most experienced pinch hitters that you could ever imagine to be coming off your bench. That's a pretty um, pretty good uh, asset to have for him to be able to do that. And then he's played great defense at first as well. Pirate baseball coach Cliff Godwin is here. A couple uh, before we let you go, and we appreciate your time uh, greatly here. Uh, Coach Lartig, uh, just his influence, and uh, he's very hands-on, and, and how that has really helped, in your opinion, the hitters. He's got a good way about himself. Uh, you know, I think he, he said in one of his interviews, the best thing about a coach is if you want to be a great coach, be available. He's super available to our guys to hit with them um, all throughout the day. He uh, is very conscientious. I mean, if something doesn't go right, he wants to make it better. And Tim and I have a lot of conversations, and he talks with our staff. But He's a great coach. He's a great human being, and, and our guys really like him and are attracted to him, so they're going to listen to him. A lot has been made about uh, how unselfish this team is, how talented this team is, uh, and, and rightfully so. Would you say that you know you and your 10th year as a head coach, at Palumbo by your side, uh, a.k.a. Lartigue, is this the best staff? No knock on anybody, but is this the best staff as far as cohesion and everything uh, that – that uh, this that, that you guys have had? I would say so, but I say that all the time because uh, we pride ourselves on hiring good people. Um, for, first and foremost, uh, I tell people all the time, if, you know, uh, guys that are hungry, loyal, hardworking guys, even if they lack a little bit of experience, um, but they care about the organization first and foremost, it's no different than one of our players that's not a starter. Um, you know, you can only have one head coach, but but I can't do it by myself. Um, our staff works tirelessly to, you know, get our guys to where they need to be to be the best versions of themselves, to make our team the best version of themselves. So, yes, I would say that, but I've said that a lot. But I really feel like this group is – our staff is as close as we've ever been um, from strength coach, athletic trainer, to um, all the guys that are assistant coaches and our support staff. So – um, which makes you successful if you can continue to, to drive that culture even amongst your staff, and our staff does that with our players. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, Coach, always great to talk to you. We appreciate it, and uh, I, I think Igo got out of this one unscathed pretty well, so that's that's pretty good uh, for him. Well, that's because I answered the question that he was going to ask before he asked it. So, <laughs> Yeah, you knew it was coming, so you just got out of the way. But, hey, we're, we still got to get to game day, Coach. It's coming. That's right. That's right. Game day's coming. So, well, I appreciate you guys. Welcome back in here as we uh, wrap up the second segment of the Patrick Johnson Show. That was our weekly visit with Coach Godwin. Patrick is now on his way over to Inside Pirate Athletics at Tyburg. You can always hear that right here on the Patrick Johnson Show as well as Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo, and we live stream it at nine o'clock, or excuse me, at ten o'clock every Monday 
morning. On the other side of this timeout, we'll be back with a Sports Flash update, and then we'll be back to wrap up the Patrick Johnson Show. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. We are back here wrapping up the Patrick Johnson Show. The P-Man is on his way to Inside Pirate Athletics. I'm Philip Pilkington. I will be taking you home on this Monday afternoon, this Super Bowl Monday afternoon, as the Kansas City Chiefs have defeated the San Francisco 49ers 25-22 in overtime. Fourth ring for the Chiefs' kingdom all-time third in the last five years. This is a team that I think midway through the season, no one was counting them out, so I don't want to go say that word, but they had lost five of eight at one time. They were struggling. Andy Reid said after the game when they asked him if that he was worried when they had lost five of eight, he said no, it wasn't from a lack of talent or that other teams were beating us. He said that the Chiefs were beating themselves. Too many turnovers, or sorry, too many penalties, too many dropped balls, and when they, he knew when they cleaned that up, they would be successful. They cleaned it up down the stretch. They were pretty good about that last night. They did have an interception there from Patrick Mahomes as well as a fumble, but Overall, the penalties were low, no costly turnovers, took advantage of some of the mistakes from the San Francisco 49ers and came out on top. After the game, Patrick Mahomes was asked if this one felt a little bit sweeter after the team had lost 5 of 8 at one point and all the struggles they went through in adversity in the 2023 season. 1,000%. I mean, just... Um the attitude of the team to never give up, ne- always be, be, always believe, and uh, to continue the fight. Um, it, it, it's special, and I'm proud of the guys, man. I mean, we battled uh, through and through, all the way through the playoffs, into the Super Bowl, and um, just like our whole season, it came down to the last play. Not many teams have accomplished the uh, three and five years. The Steelers did it when they won four and six years, and no matter which way you kind of look at that one, it was three and five as they won two. Went two years without winning and then won two more. The Cowboys did it in the 90s, and the Patriots have done it twice with winning three and four years in Brady's first, well, not his first four years, I guess he didn't play in 2000, but his first uh, year's a starter for half the season in 01 through that 04 run. And then he won three out of five there in the mid to late 2010s. And, you know, the weird thing about the Brady thing is they went from 2004 to 2014 without winning a Super Bowl. In fact, they only appeared in two Super Bowls in there. The reason I bring that up is I think we're all a little worried right now. Are we going to watch the Chiefs win this thing every year? And we very well could. You know, there's been some crazy streaks go on in sports. You think back to the 59 through 67 Boston Celtics which was obviously many moons ago. You think of some of the dynasties of the Bears in the 30s, and uh, it's possible. You know, we could be watching, unfortunately, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs every year for the next God knows how long because he's still young. But as good as he is and as much as he is being compared to Tom Brady, Tom Brady went 10 years without a Super Bowl victory. Tom Brady went 10 years where – He only went to two Super Bowls, and he came out 0-2 in those two games to Eli Manning and a meh Giants team most of those two years. So it is possible that Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, C.J. Stroud, 
Lamar Jackson, whoever could jump up and take some AFC crowns and at least have another representative there in the AFC. But what they've done has been special. And, you know, it's a little annoying to watch, but for the last five years, they've been in the big game. They've won three of those four. They've been down by 10 points in each of those. They can play from behind. And it really was a phenomenal, phenomenal game last night. I personally think this can be argued for the greatest Super Bowl of all time. And I know the beginning wasn't as good as the end, but I've never loved those games that are just huge shootouts. I remember the Rams played a home Monday night game three or four years ago. They were still playing at the L.A. Coliseum was when they first moved back, and it was like 52 to 45 or something. It might even beat the Chiefs. I can't remember. Don't quote me on the fact that it was the Chiefs that they played. But everybody saw how great of a game it was. And don't get me wrong, it was exciting. It was fun. It was all these touchdowns. But I think a great football game has all elements. It has good defense. It has good offense. It's got a crucial special teams play, and I think this game had all those things. Early, San Francisco jumped out. It could have been worse. I think that's what San Francisco will look back on and kind of cringe that it wasn't more out of hand. They fumbled there on the first drive. Second drive, they're moving the ball well, but they keep getting penalized, and they end up having to punt. And But then all of a sudden you blink, and it's 10 nothing, And... Patrick Mahomes does what he does. He climbs himself out of the hole. Also, the 49ers, when things got going tough, they abandoned the run. I think that really hurt them. Their first six plays of the second half, which was two different drives for two, three and outs, were all pass plays. They came back on the next drive. They did run it once, but then had another three and out. So eight of their first nine plays in the second half were passes, and it resulted in three three and outs in both of these teams. That was the story of the game, or at least a story that no one's talking about. When teams ran the ball well, they were successful. Yes, the running game didn't have explosive plays, and you don't remember really a particular run by Christian McCaffrey or Isaiah Pacheco in this contest, but when they were running for three to four yards and sticking to the run, they were effective passing the football. That went with both teams. Now, also with Kansas City, when Patrick Mahomes was effective running the football, the offense was effective. But both these defensive coordinators honestly deserve maybe their own Super Bowl MVPs. Maybe we should go back to Super Bowl twelve when Harvey Martin and Randy White both got it and give it to both of these defensive coordinators. They drew up phenomenal game plans. These are the two best offenses in the league. There was no explosion plays. You allowed some stuff underneath, but everybody made tackles. It really was a good game in and through. It was a defensive slugfest for the first three quarters, followed by some great offense, but some offensive possessions where the defense still was able to hold them to three there at the end of the game. Both ways, there were some stops where teams got held to three, and that's all you can ask for in a game. I was on the edge of my seat from the opening kickoff, It was a phenomenal showing from both programs. The 49ers, I know it's been tough. You've lost three now in the last decade plus, but they have nothing to hang their heads about from the game they played last night and the season they had this year. No doubt that Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan will be back in the Super Bowl again. Of course, we said the same thing about Dan Marino, and we saw how that turned out, but I really do think these guys should get back. They're the best roster in the NFL, 1-53. 
last night. Unfortunately, they weren't the better team. Well, honestly, I mean, the teams were so evenly matched. I mean, heck, it was tied at the end of the game. And it just, over time, just happened to go KC's way. It's not that KC was really the better team. It was just by the way the scoring works and the rules work. They were able to come out on top. It was a phenomenal contest. And Kyle Shanahan did speak after the game. You could hear the disappointment in his voice, but he is definitely proud of his team as he should be. There's no right words right now. Um, it hurts. Everybody understands that. Uh, we knew it would hurt if it came to this, but I'm just proud of our guys. They put themselves out there. Um, they played their tails off. They played through a lot of stuff. And it's something we got to live with, but uh, I know it's something we can handle. But yeah, we're all pretty disappointed right now. Um, but I'm going to lose with anyone. I want to lose with those guys, man. Understanding it's raw, and again, it went into overtime. But is there anything right now that you feel like was the difference down the stretch? Um, I mean, love to score a touchdown there at the end. Not get Pat another chance. Had our opportunity to get him off the field on fourth down. We didn't. Um, Pat's done that a bunch. Uh, he does it almost all the time. So uh, it was a hard, hard, hard fought game. Um, went a lot like we thought it would go. Had our chances there and didn't get it done. A class act there is Kyle Shanahan. Obviously learned from his father, who's a legendary coach. Able to win two Super Bowls with the Denver Broncos, but it took his dad a while to win his first Super Bowl as well. Obviously Shanahan now is a head coach, 0-2 in the big game, 0-3 overalls. He was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 51 when they blew that 28-3 lead to the New England Patriots. So it's going to be interesting next year. I really hope this 49ers team does not get that Super Bowl hangover. I don't think they will. There's a lot of weapons. I think this defense is good. I liked the trade for Chase Young and Randy Gregory at the time. Neither one of them really panned out until last night when they looked really good. Nick Bosa played a wonderful game. Tony Romo kept talking about how they did a great job containing Patrick Mahomes, not letting him get outside the pocket. And sometimes it maybe looked like, hey, less opportunity for a sack when they were just flushing them backwards, but it was a higher opportunity for an incomplete pass and a less opportunity for Patrick Mahomes to make a high light play, which he has done again and again. So I think this 49ers team, we're going to be seeing them, a lot of them. And, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of earlier today, we're going to be seeing a lot of this Kansas City Chiefs team too. They kind of get annoying, but – you got to tip your cap to him. I mean, Andy Reid has done a heck of a job there. Patrick Mahomes is an amazing quarterback. They've built an amazing team. And um, just happy for the team, I guess, even though they've done it as many times as they have. Happy for the Hunt family as uh, Norma Hunt, Clark Hunt's mother, which Clark is currently the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. She passed away this past offseason. She was the only woman to attend all 57 Super Bowls, so this was their first Super Bowl without their mother. Her husband, Lamar Hunt, founded the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the founding fathers of the AFL, which we now know as the AFC, and was a big part in bringing the two together to form what was at the time the first ever NFL-AFL championship game, which we now call Super Bowl One. So the Hunt family's done a lot for the sport that we all love, and for them to lose their mother and you know, to be her first Super Bowl or their first Super Bowl without her, it was cool to see them at least win it for her. All the players were wearing patches with her initials on it, so that was really cool. However, I am tired of the Chiefs, and hopefully they will go on a 10-year drought as the Patriots did. But Andy Reid, man, 
I'm not saying that he will ever be the greatest of all time, but I think he's definitely put himself in that conversation. When you look at some of the great coaches, the one thing that they kind of did, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Belichick or anybody else I'm about to name, but a lot of them had a lot of their success with one quarterback. And yes, Andy has only won Super Bowls with one, but he's been to a Super Bowl with Donovan McNabb. He has been very successful with Alex Smith. And now here he is with Patrick Mahomes having played in four of the last five and won three of the last five Super Bowls. I definitely think Andy Reid has put himself up there with the Bill Walshes, the Chuck Knowles, Vince Lombardi, um, who am I leaving out here? Tom Landry, obviously um, Bill Belichick's of the world. And I definitely think he belongs in that conversation now. Andy's a great guy. I know the players love playing for him. And uh, I don't know where he ate that cheeseburger from last night, but I'm sure he definitely enjoyed it. I know it was one of the things you could gamble on, is if they won, where would the cheeseburger that Andy ate be from? I'm not really sure, but um, he's an interesting guy, and congratulations to all of them in the Chiefs' kingdom, and hopefully next year somebody will be able to jump up and pull it off that's not wearing red and yellow and calls themselves the Kansas City Chiefs. But... Hey, if they do, it's just more spectacular performance from Patrick Mahomes, and we are very fortunate to be seeing what we're seeing. When we look back one day, we'll compare Patrick Mahomes to guys named Brady and Jordan, Gretzky, and LeBron. So as much as it irritates us sometimes, he is one heck of a football player. There is no denying that. So that'll wrap it up here for our Monday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Stay tuned for Inside Pirate Athletics. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thanks to Patrick and uh, Coach Godwin for joining us, as well as Stephen Igo helping out there with our second segment, which Coach Godwin joined us for. So stay tuned right here on 94.3 The Game for Inside Pirate Athletics with Patrick Johnson and Stephen Igo, and tune back in tomorrow to the BJ Show at 5 o'clock. Have a great rest of your evening, Pirate Nation. Pirate Nation.